Chapter Twenty Seven of the Mystery of the Hidden Room. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Hidden Room by Marion Harvey. Chapter Twenty Seven The Strong Box. After a luncheon, to which I did full justice, McKelvie flipped over the pages of the city directory and studied the section devoted to Cunningham's. "'That's rather peculiar,' he said. "'He has no office in the city. If he is a lawyer, where does he conduct his practice? Something wrong somewhere. Come on, we'll get him at his apartments.' We drove to 84th Street and inquired for Cunningham. "'Mr. Cunningham, he's not at home,' replied the switchboard operator in the hallway of the fashionable apartment house. "'Do you mean that he is out of town?' asked McKelvie anxiously. "'Oh, no. He'll be back at five, I guess. That's the time he usually comes in when he's in the city,' said the girl, bestowing a fetching smile upon my companion. McKelvie improved the acquaintance. He returned the smile. "'Is he away very much?' "'Yes, quite a bit.' "'Thank you, and you need not mention that I was asking about him. He might not like it,' remarked McKelvie. "'You said it. He's closer than a clam about himself,' she returned with a little toss of her head. "'Our friend Cunningham was once quite attentive in that quarter,' explained McKelvie with a laugh as we drove away. "'So much I learned when I first came here.' and so I proceeded to make friends with Jane. "'Where to?' I inquired, laughing. "'Home?' "'No, the Darwin Bank. I have a mind to see whether our lawyer friend, who has no office, possesses a sufficient capital to live on his income. Mr. Trenton is the best man to apply to, I guess, since I have already learned that Cunningham keeps an account at his bank.' When we arrived at the bank, I sent my card in, and we were admitted at once to Mr. Trenton's private office. "'What is it, Carlton?' he asked fearfully. "'Good news,' I replied, "'which I should like you to convey to Ruth.' I had ceased visiting her at her own request, and I told him Gilmore's story. Mr. Trenton beamed on McKelvie when I had finished the tale. "'My dear sir, this is all you're doing. How can I ever thank you? You have lifted a great load from my mind, and I can think of him with great pity now instead of horror in my heart.' He bowed his head, and I was glad he did not know that Dick was alive. It was far better that he think his son drowned than that he know that Dick was somewhere in New York, afraid to come home. "'Mr. Trenton,' said McKelvie presently. I came here primarily to obtain some information. Philip Darwin had an account here, did he not? Rains can tell you, Mr. Trenton replied, ringing for the head cashier. I nodded to the young man as he entered, for we were acquainted, and Mr. Trenton introduced him to McKelvie, adding, And Mr. Rains, you have my authority to tell Mr. McKelvie whatever he desires to know. 
"'I'm at your service, Mr. McKelvie,' responded Raines, with a cordial smile. "'I wish to know whether Philip Darwin has a bank balance here, and if so, how much?' said McKelvie, getting down to business at once. "'He closed out his account on the 6th of October,' replied Raines. "'I'm not likely to forget it, since it was the very next night that he was murdered.' "'And the amount of his balance was,' repeated McKelvie. "'One hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I gave him the money myself.' "'Did he take it in gold or notes?' asked McKelvie. "'In bills of large denominations, so that it did not make such a very large package to carry. He put it into a small bag and took it away himself. McKelvie took a turn around the room and then asked abruptly, "'Does a Mr. Herbert Cunningham, who lives on 84th Street, bank here?' "'Yes. He's a red-whiskered chap, is he not?' McKelvie nodded. "'Can you give the amount of his balance?' "'I'll get it for you in just a moment.' Raines left the room, and McKelvie continued to pace the floor. "'What do you suppose Philip did with all that money?' asked Mr. Trenton. "'That's what I'm going to find out,' returned McKelvie. "'I have an idea I know where it is.' "'According to Cunningham, Darwin lost it on Wall Street,' I said. "'Yes, and according to Orton, Darwin was a cautious speculator. I'll wager the secretary was the better judge of Darwin's character.' Orton's shrewd, for all that he's a wretched creature. No, that money did not go into Wall Street, and I'm going to locate it in just a moment. Well, as Raines came in again, Cunningham's balance is $10,000, returned Raines. Any increase lately? asked McKelvie. No, just a steady decrease, answered the cashier. Has he a strong box? Yes, he has. May I examine its contents? inquired McKelvie. Raines looked at Mr. Trenton. It's all right. I'll come along, too. And Mr. Trenton rose. By the way, Mr. Raines, said McKelvie, I should like this investigation conducted as inconspicuously as possible. I'm a rich eccentric who wants to hire a strong box if anyone asks any questions. All right, sir. Whatever Mr. Trenton says goes. I'll meet you downstairs with the key, replied Raines. Mr. Trenton conducted us through the bank corridor to the rear of the building and down a flight of stone steps to the entrance to the vault. The guard swung open the heavy door with a good afternoon, sir, to Mr. Trenton, and we entered the fireproof room where the safe deposit boxes were kept and paused before the one marked Cunningham. When Raines came in, he inserted the master key in the lock and opened the deposit box. Inside was a smaller tin cash box, and when he lifted the lid, for it was unlocked, we saw that it was crammed with bills. Raines's eyes opened wide with amazement, 
and if McKelvie hadn't caught the box, it would have fallen from his nerveless fingers. "'Mr. McKelvie,' he said in a strange voice, pointing to the contents of the box, "'those are the bills I gave to Philip Darwin.' "'I thought as much,' said McKelvie seriously. "'Lock up this box again. Until we can prove that Cunningham has no right to the money, we cannot confiscate it. Thank you very much, Mr. Trenton, for your kindness in allowing me this privilege, and I'd be much obliged if you will say nothing to anyone about our discovery. You'll excuse us if we hurry along?' Mr. Trenton nodded, and we hastened out, leaving the president and the cashier to lock up the $150,000 in Cunningham's strong box. "'So Cunningham has the money,' I remarked as we drove toward Stuyvesant Square. "'Can it be he murdered Darwin, and then helped himself to the bills? The cash box in the safe was found empty,' I added." McKelvie smiled grimly. "'Oh, no, he didn't steal the money. I don't believe it was ever in the house on Riverside Drive, but we will make our friend explain its presence in his strong box just the same. It should be an interesting account, to say the least,' he ended sarcastically. "'Call for me here at five, and we'll hear what he has to say.' I pondered McKelvie's meaning as I returned to the office. The explanation should be interesting, he had said. I agreed with him. Yet, after all, it could have no direct connection with the murder, since Philip Darwin had never taken the money home. But how did McKelvie know this latter fact? Was he merely theorizing, or did he know more than he had told me? He had not appeared surprised when we discovered that the lawyer had the money, for he had even hinted that he knew where it was. I determined to ask him what other information he had upon this point when I called for him at five o'clock, but at four-thirty, as I was making ready to leave, he phoned me to postpone our visit. His voice was so high-pitched with excitement that my questions vanished from my mind as if by magic, and all I could exclaim was, "'What is it? What has happened?' "'Our friend Cunningham will have a pretty job on his hands explaining away all the facts I have gathered against him today,' he exulted. "'He's no more a lawyer than I am, Mr. Davies.' "'Not a lawyer?' I repeated. "'No.' He's not registered, and he cannot practice law in New York City. I'm going to look up one or two more details before we call upon him. Be at the house at quarter to eight, please, providing, of course, that you desire to accompany me. McKelvie, if you dare go to 84th Street without me, there's going to be trouble between us, I warned, and he laughed gaily as he rang off. End of chapter 27